face recognition technology is a way of identify or confirming an individual's identity using their face and is used to identify people in photos, videos, or in real time. Uh, we are familiar with this form of biometric security when we use it to unlock uh, our phones, for instance, or to enter security state. It's becoming so common that we don't think, think twice about it. Recently, for instance, the University of Johannesburg became the first higher education institute in South Africa to implement facial recognition for secure registration. However, facial recognition is not without its harms. Uh, Sharona Paul published an article on the perils and biases of face recognition. We welcome her to the program. Good afternoon. Welcome to the program on Radio Islam. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us. So please share with us, you know, the catalyst for your exploration of face recognition technology that's used for surveillances. Well, I was writing a book that just came out in November on the face recognition spectrum from face blindness, people who can't recall or recognize a face, all the way to super recognition. People who can never forget a face is the way that it's usually described, but it's actually more like once they encounter someone and that face is imprinted, their ability to recall it is actually independent of any relationship they might have with that person. So for most of us, we recall people better if we have some sort of relationship with them. Now, super recognizers are actually used in the United Kingdom as part of a special police force in order to make sense of or indeed identify the faces of people that they capture in face recognition technology. Until quite recently, actually, and this is surprising, 50% of the world's CCTV or closed circuit television cameras were in London. It was, until recently, the most surveilled city in the world. And it was this massive exchange between privacy and security with the idea that security would increase. But the thing is, it just didn't work that well. So these super recognizers were actually part of a squad designed to figure out who the people who were captured in these cameras in the course of committing crimes actually were. So as I was doing my research for this book, I started to think about the technology, but also the very long history of how we have tracked people using surveillance, using their bodies. And my goal there was to show that while the technology has certainly improved, we have a long analog history, so a non-digital history of deciding which kinds of people we feel should be able to move through space freely and the converse, who should not. Mm, fascinating, you know, from where this idea had come and uh, where it had led you to. Uh, you view the technology as part of a long history of people tra tracking and posted that it invades privacy and free movement. Firstly, please explain this in layman's terms, you know, to our listeners. And secondly, uh, you can elaborate on that. And how do you see the historical context of biometric surveillance shaping uh, the development and implementation of face recognition technology today? Certainly. So, as you said, I think that we have been tracking people for a very, very long time. So, starting, for example, in the 19th century, when we had the emergence toward the end of the 19th century of fingerprinting being used in government offices, and of course, this was actually a technology that was taken from India. It had a very long history there. Uh, we had in France anthropometry, a system of measuring people once they had been 
arrested or were in the criminal justice system, measuring their different body parts and able in order to be able to identify they, them again. Obviously, this was really cumbersome. It wasn't incredibly effective, but it was a way of saying that there are people who we want to pay particular attention to. So the narrative is always there are people who represent a threat and we track those people. But of course, what constitutes a threat is something that's very much determined by those who are in power and making the rules. So it shouldn't surprise anybody to hear that there were those who were tracked much less than those who were tracked much more and continue to be tracked more tend to be people of color, tend to be people who are minoritized, low income, and so on and so forth. This is true both in the analog sense and as we have seen in the digital sense. So the number of false arrests, the number of false positives using this technology has been disproportionately black people and other people of color, which is to say that when the technology identifies a match. This is the person that you're looking for. This is the person who has an outstanding warrant. It falsely identifies people of color at something like 100 times the rate of white people. Now, that has changed recently. The technology has improved for all kinds of reasons. But that means that it is even more effective at tracking people and invading our privacy. So we ought to think about that as well. Yes. Now, what are the consequences of this? You know, as you indicate that you know, uh, with the with the facial recognition uh, expansion into our daily lives, driven by governmental and private interests in data harvesting, what are some of the most concerning implications for this widespread surveillance? And if these issues are not addressed, what are the effects that it could have in the long term and the short term? Yeah, so I think that we haven't even begun to imagine all of the effects, and I don't want to sound alarmist. Uh, I think that we should not attribute to the technology the ability to ruin our lives in a particular way. It is people who are deploying these technologies and using them. So while I think that the biases are built into the technologies in very real ways, so for example, there is that whole thing about automatic soap dispensers not being designed to recognize darker skin, right? The technologies are not neutral, but having said that, people are responsible for deploying them. So it's not just the technology. But here in the U.S., where reproductive rights are certainly under attack, the, uh, the data harvesting can be used to turn over people's private cycles and deeply personal information, for example. But when it comes to the face recognition technology in particular, we might think about uh, people who are undocumented, people who don't have immigration status, uh, I don't know, delivering your parcel, and then your camera captures their face. Can that be used to then kick them out of the country? What about people tracking who are coming and getting vaccines, something of urgent importance? Can we be concerned that people who come in to get vaccinated might actually then be apprehended? Is that going to stop people from getting vaccinated? Now, the underlying idea is, well, if people are um, committing crimes, they ought to be apprehended. But once again, while the technology is both flawed and also biased in its intent, we ought to think very carefully about that. Certainly. Thank you for sharing the insight. We appreciate your time. All right. Well, thank you very much for having me. Well, bye-bye. Bye. Our guests are talking to us about
surveillance and uh, the consequences that it may possibly have on us on a daily basis.